This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. It's Tuesday, March 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me is Motley Fool analyst Jason Moser. Jason, welcome. How are you doing? We sound a bit different today. We do. And you know what? It's funny. You say normally joining in studio and I'm in studio because of something I had to do earlier today. You're not in studio and neither is our main man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. This is all true. You are joining us from <laughs> Fool HQ. Dan is joining us from an undisclosed location in Virginia. We should and get it in my basement. It's not that undisclosed. <laughs> <laughs> and I am at my home in Virginia. Obviously, we've got some special circumstances, but we're still bringing you market foolery. And Jason, we're connected via Zoom. But you know what? We want to be nice to our listeners, so we are going to spare them the video. That is our gift. Nobody wants to look at us, Mac. I mean, we're lucky that they want to listen to us. Nobody wants to look at us. Yeah, just just picture. I don't know what what would the picture be. Um, I'm I'm I am wearing my collared shirt. I find that even though I'm working at home, if I put on a collared shirt, that I've already accomplished something. So oh, you gotta you gotta you gotta get dressed, man. You gotta take a shower and get dressed like you're going about your normal day. It'll keep things uh, on on a bit of a level of sanity that uh, you might not otherwise uh, be able to enjoy. Well, speaking of sanity, or maybe insanity, let's <laughs> talk about the market. Now we are taping this. Midday Tuesday, and the Dow is actually up a few percent, which really seems like a good day, Jason, because yesterday was the worst day for the market since the Black Monday crash of 1987. And if that sounds familiar, it's because last Thursday had been the worst day for the market since the Black Monday crash of 1987. So yesterday, the Dow falling 13%. Obviously, we've got growing concerns over the coronavirus. Jason, Against that backdrop, the Fed coming out on Tuesday, launching a commercial paper funding facility to provide some emergency liquidity. What do you make of it all? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it is it is one of those things. We've seen some some real volatility here over the last uh, several days, last few weeks. And, and it's understandable because there's so much that we don't know. There's so much uncertainty out there in regard to not only the coronavirus itself and what COVID-19 actually means for us as a society going forward, but but how this is going to impact the economy, how we're going to deal with the impacts of the economy, and how long it's going to ultimately last. And so I see, I, you know, I see this. Uh, it seems that the, the market's looking less for they're looking less for things like rate cuts, and they're looking for more uh, reassurance of, of how we're going to actually move forward here. And I think now we're finally starting to get some of that reassurance. And we're getting a little bit more uh, uh, sort of a quantification of how things might play out. Um, in, in the commercial paper market, to, to your point there, I mean, for, for folks that aren't familiar with that, I mean, that is essentially short-term borrowing for businesses so that they can keep their operations running. It's cash that businesses need to keep their operations running. And, and right now, we've seen millions of jobs and lives basically put on hold. And, and we can't really fully understand why or how long it's going to last. Um, and in a lot of industries that do run sort of day to day on, on the cash flow that runs through their businesses, they've really been put in a pinch. So to see the Fed step in and, and help 
loosen this up a little bit, get more money flowing through the system and help not not offer guarantees, but at least give give uh, business owners some feeling that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, I, I think starts to make people feel like, well, maybe things will get better one day. We don't know necessarily when that might be, uh, but but this, this definitely is a step in the right direction. Now, Jason, I want to find out how you are approaching your portfolio, how you're looking at your portfolio right now, because yesterday, the Dow down almost 13%. So that was Monday. On Friday, the Dow up almost 13%. And then on last Thursday, the Dow, of course, down around 10%. So to say this market has been volatile would be a huge, huge understatement. It is dizzying. It reminds me of like that teacup ride that always <laughs> makes me sick. So, so my question for you is, how are you thinking about your portfolio as you watch these dips? You know, it's funny. I have I have caught myself more than once logging into my online brokerage in in thinking on these down days. All right, I'm going to buy something. I'm going to buy something, and then I look at my overall portfolio and I start looking at these businesses, and I'm thinking, you know what? Some of these things aren't nearly as as screaming a buy as as maybe I thought they would be. I I, I want. I feel like there's. I feel like it needs to get cheaper. I feel like stocks need to actually go a little bit lower. Um, but that's all to say, really, I do find myself second guessing myself or double checking myself maybe just trying to not act in haste and it's the biggest lesson really i took out of the great recession more than a decade ago as an investor was that there's no reason to rush you need to take this slow because while we we've seen before these massive drops on any given day and then these massive spikes on any given day you have to recognize that that's something that is going to be part and parcel of the markets i think here going forward i mean i'm not saying necessarily every day is going to be like this but we're going to see this happen more and more often i think thanks to technology and liquidity um and so it is it is important i think to take it slow and that's the message i keep really trying to communicate to people is that don't try to get in there and just make everything happen at once pick and choose your spots and and the one thing I have found that really has helped me. You go back to that old Peter Lynch saying where he he always likes to say, you know, the best stock to buy is probably one that you already own. And, and his general thinking there is, hey, you already own it for a reason. So chances are you know, had some good reasons in buying it. And so maybe for investors out there looking to make some sense of this and trying to put a watch list in order, uh, go go through your current holdings. Look at the stocks that you currently own today and build a watch list from the stocks that you already own. I mean, you know, build a watch list from stocks that you want to buy too. But if you have 20, 25, 30 stocks in your portfolio, building a watch list of stocks that you already own can be really helpful. And then remember that it's in times like these that the the strong typically get stronger. And and that's for for some obvious reasons. Clearly, they go into situations like this with with uh, more resources at their disposal. They're better prepared financially. Um, so just keep in mind that oftentimes market leaders tend to really entrench and build their market leading positions in times like these, and that can help uh, make some sense as to as to what priorities you want to throw up there on your buy list as well. So, Jason, I want to bounce my strategy off you and just kind of. Get your expert insights into if this is sound thinking. So I used to try to avoid quoting my portfolio during the day. That was my goal. Like during market hours, just don't even quote your portfolio, especially when the market's having a bad day. And then I've since decided, you know what, that's unrealistic. But when I do the one-day quote in my portfolio, I also widen the lens, I broaden the view, and I also look 
at my three-year, my five-year, my 10-year, my longer-term performance as well. So if I'm going to quote my stocks, that's fine, but I also make myself quote that longer-term performance. So at least I get that perspective. And there, you know, from a, psych- from a psychology perspective, it, I find that comforting. Yeah, I, th- I think that's actually a really good idea. I know that some people like to say on down days or in times like these, they don't like to check their portfolio. I mean, that's fine if that's what you want to do. I find that kind of difficult to really put into practice. And for me personally, it doesn't change my thinking much one way or another. But I, I, you you referred to something there that I think is really important. And it's something that I do as well, is, is I do pan out and look at the longer term performance of, of a lot of my holdings to, to just reemphasize, to reiterate the importance that time plays. I mean, time is uh, arguably the most important variable f- for individual investors. I mean, if we assume that we're going to buy a lot of great businesses and that, you know, four times out of 10, you'll be wrong, but six times out of 10, you'll be right. We figure then, okay, we've got a decent portfolio. Um, time is really that variable that comes into play for us. And if you can look at how your performance has been through longer periods of time, that can reemphasize that, that can reiterate that. And for, for investors, you know, we're investing for a reason. We have goals. And so if you look at what your goals are, you understand what stage of life you're in, being able to sort of put things in that context and say, you know what, this is one isolated incident. It's one window in, in a, a greater investing journey of mine uh, that, that can definitely keep things in perspective. But yeah, I mean, it, it is it is finding those little heuristics that that work for you and what some what works for some might not work for others. But I, I do love that that approach there, Mac. And I want to close this out with a couple of my favorite pieces of investing insight. First, Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner, stocks go down faster than they go up, but go up more than they go down. Yeah. I mean, I I think that really does speak for itself. I mean, it's very easy to see these reactions in the near term. I mean, that pain, we, we feel that pain. Um, but that's why we always encourage people to take that longer view. Look at the chart the S&P 500 over 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, you do see that that ultimate trend where, sure, over over time, the, the market ebbs and flows, but the general trend is in one direction. And um, and, and I do like the way he, he uh, emphasizes that point. And then I want to give a shout out to our colleague, Motley Fool Analyst, Ben Ra. Ben wrote this this week, and I just absolutely, absolutely love this. He writes... A famous poker player once described the game of No Limit Hold'em as, quote, hours of boredom punctuated by moments of sheer terror, end quote. <laughs> Investing is like that, too. How you act during those times, what you do, and more importantly, what you don't do, will have an outsized impact on your portfolio 5, 10, and 20 years from now. Yeah, that's spot on. And, and you you said something key there, I think, in what you don't do. I think oftentimes in investing, particularly when we hit stretches like this, typically the best action is inaction. It's to do nothing except just keep the status quo. And for a lot of us, the status quo is, thankfully, you know, we get to get up and we go to work every morning and, and whether that work is here or at home or whatever, but, but we, we get to go to work every day and, and we're taking a piece of our paycheck every time we get paid and we're rolling that into the market and we're investing in good times and bad. And, and the idea is to keep doing that. I mean, that's the whole point behind it. And, and I think really it's stretches of time like this 
that only only reiterate how effective that strategy is. So oftentimes the best action is inaction. And, and I think in this case, for most people, that would be the wise course is to just keep doing what you're doing. If you're investing in your 401k or your retirement plan, just keep that ball rolling. For the love of God, don't liquidate everything and then just go hide in the hills because you're, you're just locking in your losses if you sell. It's not a, it's not a loss unless you actually sell it. Um, and, and, and I do also want to reiterate the fact that our listeners, our viewers, our members, we're investing with you. We're feeling this with you. We're right there with you for this trip. And and so I, it's easy to sit there and, and say um, it's a little bit more difficult to put into practice, but but we do want you to know. We want everyone to know we're investing with you. So we're feeling this pain. Uh, we're feeling that joy when, when stocks perform well, too. And, and uh, thankfully, here at the Motley Fool, we have a lot of folks who have been through this before. And I mean, I, I know, Mac, you and I talk about this all the time, what we went through with the Great Recession and the lessons we learned from it. Uh, we're right there with you. I'm showing my age because I remember Black Monday in 1987. But the big difference is that was pre-internet. So <laughs> yeah. back then, Jason, a lot of people didn't know about the stock market crash until the evening news, or maybe even in some cases, until the next day's morning newspaper. And this yeah. is obviously a very different animal when you can watch CNBC and you can track the market just minute by minute by minute. And that, I think, is a great example of why we see such precipitous drops and gains and spikes in the market. It's the difference between 87 and now and what technology has done. It's made everything faster, and the market is no exception. Well, Jason, speaking of gains, some potential good news. Shares of Regeneron Pharmaceuticals up around 13% at the time of our taping after the biotech company said that it aims to have a potential drug for COVID-19 ready for trials this summer. Now, that's earlier than what was expected, and the drug is designed to both treat and prevent COVID-19. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out what the bigger headline here is, Mac. Is the bigger headline the Regeneron headline, or is it the fact that Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson have actually been discharged from a hospital? Because I really thought there was going to be a Tom Hanks bounce, and maybe that's what today really is all about. I mean, I like that. people are seeing a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Forrest Gump's going to be all right at the end of the show. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, I mean, I do think um, – I mean, this is wonderful news to see. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we were waiting for, and I think that as time goes on, we're going to see more headlines – like this come out as we've got some of the brightest minds in the world working on solving this problem. Uh, I think that in Regeneron's case, you can absolutely make the argument for investing in Regeneron regardless of this news. I'm not saying go invest in it, but I'm saying you could certainly make the case based on its history of success and collaboration in the space. And so just looking at some, some of the fundamentals, I mean, it's a big company, $48 billion market cap. It's got $2.5 billion in cash on the balance sheet, 23% annualized revenue growth over the last five years, which is just astounding, really. They have a co-founder as a CEO, another co-founder is the chief scientific officer, and, and they both own actually a nice little slug of the company. So uh, you could certainly make the argument for investing in Regeneron regardless. I, I do think that this is encouraging news uh, from the sense that they have a relationship with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, they're working on this together. They have a history of being able to come up with effective treatment for Ebola. So this isn't their first rodeo, so to speak. Um, with that said, they are not the only company out there really trying to, to, to help solve this problem. I mean, you've got companies like Johnson & Johnson out there doing the same thing uh, and many others. Um, and so I, I do think... Uh, 
I, I wouldn't look at Regeneron and think, okay, you know what, we're going to invest in this because this is the company that's going to save us from COVID-19. That's that's the wrong way to look at it. Um, if you're going to invest in Regeneron, you invest in it for all of the reasons I mentioned before. Um, but but there's no question, it's, it's great to see a big, well-capitalized company with a lot of smart minds, not only working so hard to, to fix this, but also the collaboration that's going on in the space. And before we get to the full mailbag, I want to say that this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Molecule. Thanks to Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. Now, Molecule's technology has been verified by science and tested by real people. That technology has given allergy and asthma sufferers around the country an all-new experience because Molecule doesn't just collect air pollutants. It destroys them on a molecular level. How awesome is that? Now, no matter the size of your room, you can choose the option that's best for your space, all the way from the Molecule Air for large rooms to the Molecule Air Mini for smaller rooms. One customer has said that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. One, five, 15 years. Now, Jason, we have colleagues who have used Molecule and they are big fans. Yes, yes, indeed. And I'll tell you what, Mac, as someone who uh, feels those allergies when allergy season comes on, um, anything to make that air a little bit cleaner uh, and to mitigate all of that dog hair in my house from the three lovable dogs that we have, uh, I'm going to take them up on that offer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am with you with the lovable dogs and dog hair. For 10% off your first air purifier, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter the promo code FOOL10 at checkout. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and promo code FOOL10. And as we wrap up here, Jason, let's dip into the full mailbag. And I'm just going to read this. Hi, Chris. Okay, sorry. I'm not Chris, but I'm channeling Chris here. Hi, Chris. Big fan from the Highlands of Scotland. Hope you guys are holding up well over in Virginia. My question regarding the current situation is why are federal banks cutting rates? I understand that you would cut rates in periods of economic instability to improve consumer mood and stimulate the economy. But surely in a situation such as this, this is akin to rubbing ointment on a broken leg. Is it a case that banks need to be seen to be doing something rather than nothing? All the best and wash those damn hands. <laughs> Robbie. Okay. Thanks, Robbie. Jason, what do you think? Uh, Robbie channeling his inner David Garter there, right? Wash <laughs> your damn hands. I love it. Um, I, I mean, it's a good question. And, and I think on its surface, he is correct. I mean, if, if, the, if the only solution to this, if we just saw the focus – remaining on on cutting rates as far as rates could be cut. I mean, it, clearly we do, we've seen through this, the market doesn't really necessarily care so much about rate cuts. It's not looking for rate cuts. It's looking for reassurance and solutions. Now, rate cuts are one part of that overall toolbox, right? I think that what we're looking at, we're looking at our, our policymakers to utilize every potential tool they have, every possible tool they have. And, and interest rates are one of those Tools. So I, I heard a Fed banker earlier this morning using he was an interview on on CNBC and, and he was using the analogy of a car approaching a steep hill and you can either step on the gas early to try to navigate that hill or you can step on the gas late to navigate that hill but one way or the other if you're going to get over that hill you've got to step on the gas and so they view 
the rate policy, the, the, the rate policy that they've enacted as being a way to step on the gas early and utilize one of the tools that they have in order to try to keep this thing moving so that we can get over this hill. But, you know, we brought up the mention of the commercial paper earlier in the show. Commercial paper is another tool. Bank liquidity. Now, there's talk of easing banks' liquidity requirements so they can actually make more loans and help more businesses deal with times like these. Uh, along with economic aid, the White House is looking for $850 billion in aid here. Now, I mean, politics, of course, is going to get in the way of this. Is You've got one side saying that aid should come in the form of, of this and, and the other side saying it should come in the form of that. But but ultimately, I, I have to believe that they'll they'll meet in the middle and come up with a solution there. Um, so it, it is, I think, a matter of looking at it as one tool in the toolbox. And our policymakers are really trying to um, exercise all of these tools that they can. And I think that they are trying to act a little bit more in haste as opposed to just letting things play out and being too late uh, to actually, you know, help get things fixed. Now, I, I will say, I mean, I, I do appreciate that haste because as much as I feel like we as a society want to come together and, and deal with this and get past it, you know, we are not working with unlimited time here. I mean, you cannot just tell everybody to go hunker down in their house and just wait for us to tell you to come out. It sounds good in theory, but there's no way it's going to work in practice. People have lives to live. They have businesses to run. They have families to take care of. We have things to do. And so regardless of, of, of where this COVID-19 is, there is going to be a point in time where people are going to start listening to themselves more than they start listening to others. And I think it's more about trying to figure out how do we manage our lives? How do we live in a world going forward where COVID exists? How can we deal with it? And that's where it comes to companies like Regeneron and Johnson & Johnson to work on these treatments and vaccines in order to help us manage this. So, so you know, time is not unlimited here. Um, and so it's nice to see the Fed uh, and our policymakers taking this approach of trying to utilize as many tools as they possibly can. Okay, Jason. Given the times, it seems a bit strange for my desert island question. So I'm going to modify it a bit because we haven't really talked about that many individual stocks. And I'm going to say over the next five years, stocks or no stocks? Oh, my word. That's just it has to be stocks 100%. I mean, this is what we're telling people is, uh, you know, there is there is data out there that says the typical event driven bear markets like what we're in right now, take a, on average 15, 15 months for us to get back to where we started. And, and so I think you hear that in the initial reaction from folks is, okay, well, I'm just going to go hide in the hills and wait 15 months till we get back to where we were, and then I'll start investing again. And, and that completely misses the point that all of this opportunity in getting back to where we started exists, and you want to take advantage of that opportunity. And that opportunity is going to come in the form of the stock market. And so as difficult as it is uh, sometimes, I mean, your emotions can get the best of you, recognize the opportunity that that is in front of us here. Uh, because because the stock market, as as it always does, it, it does come back when when the situation improves. And uh, I, I, for one, subscribe to the notion that things will get better, Mac. I don't know about you. I agree, Jason Moser. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email for your questions, for your comments. That's marketfoolery at fool.com. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands, and we will see you tomorrow.